Go ahead and stand, if you would, for the reading of God's word, if you're able. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. This is the word of God. You may be seated. From this passage this morning, I'll preach from the title, Creation's Caretakers. Not long ago, I stumbled onto someone's social media post. The person had uploaded a photo of an antique kitchen gadget. They had found this thing in storage, a relic from a previous generation, but they couldn't figure out what the thing was for. The comments on the social media posts were full of creative guesses, and frankly, I can't remember Uh, if any of them were correct. But what I have remembered about that post was the person's dilemma. Without knowing what the gadget was for, they couldn't know what it was. It's fascinating to me that right here at the beginning of the Bible, God says who humans are by explaining what humans are for. These verses show us that God created humans to care for his creation. We might wonder how we're supposed to do that, how we are to care for the creation. But there is no doubt that caring for creation is central to our purpose as humans. If you're a guest this morning, you should know that our church is going through an exciting and, can we say, unpredictable season. A few years ago, we began searching for a facility to purchase. Last year, we began to wonder if God was calling us to purchase the former St. Ambrose Church on 47th and Ellis, a facility which is much bigger And more than a little bit more expensive than we had imagined for ourselves. You can see a photo of it on the the cover of the bulletin this morning. This was the only facility that we were able to find during our search. And some surprising things began to come together for us, which have started to open up this unexpected possibility. We are under contract for this building, and we have now passed the halfway point of our due diligence period, and we are still actively discerning whether God is calling us to make this purchase. But regardless of the outcome, regardless of whether we purchase St. Ambrose or not, I think God is teaching us a very important lesson through the former St. Ambrose property. See, if our church had found a building that was 
just the right size for our congregation and our nonprofit and just the right price for our budget, it would have been easy to think that God was simply answering our prayer of providing a building for us. But if that had been our posture, we would be missing something very, very important. And what we would have missed is something that has been impossible to miss given the size and the scope of St. Ambrose. Because what has become clear about this project is that there is simply no way that all of that space and all of that property is for us. It's just too much. If God is leading us to purchase St. Ambrose, he is not simply answering our request for a building for us. Rather, it's as though God is making a request of us. Will you, New Community Covenant Church, become the next generation of caretakers for this place? And here's the thing. That's actually the question we need to answer about any facility God leads us to. Whether it is a massive, old, complicated, beautiful property like St. Ambrose or something that is just our size and price. It's the same question we ought to answer. Yes, of course, we are asking God to provide a home for us. But can we also listen to God's question for us? Will you become the next generation of caretakers for this place? Now, why do I think that this is the question God is asking of us in this season? The answer to that question is the big idea for this sermon, which is this. We fulfill God's purposes for us by living as caretakers for creation. Humans fulfill their purpose by living as creation's caretakers. During the next few weeks, we are going to apply this biblical assumption to our discernment about purchasing this property. We're going to get practical. But today, I simply want to reflect on what does it mean that God calls us and created us to be caretakers. In these few verses, we see two characteristics of caretakers. First, caretakers care for creation. Relatively obvious. Second, caretakers are cared for by creation. We fulfill God's purposes for us by living as caretakers who care for creation and who are cared for by creation. So the first, we fulfill God's purpose for us by living as caretakers who care for creation. 
The language in Genesis is that humans are created to rule over the earth and to subdue creation. And, and we are the only ones who are given that call. Created in the image and likeness of God, we are to represent God's presence to all of creation. But my hunch is that when I read the, the word rule and the word subdue, some of us got uncomfortable. Uh, because we are used to expressions of power which abuse and manipulate and coerce. And some of us have been on the receiving end of such forms of coercive, manipulative power. And so we chafe at the language we find in Genesis my guess is that at least 75% of us in this room are pretty cynical about power and the use of power. And so we wonder about God's intention in these verses. I don't know if it helps or not, but you are not the first person to wonder about that. All the way back in 1967, a philosopher named Lynn White wrote a very influential article called The Historical Roots of our ecological crisis. People were talking about our ecological crisis back in 1967. And in this article, White makes the point that the roots of the ecological crisis are actually found in Christianity and in Christian scriptures. That Christian scriptures and Hebrew scriptures are actually the source of our ecological crisis. Let me read two very short excerpts. White writes about the passages that we just read. God planned all of creation explicitly for man's benefit and rule. No item in the physical creation has any purpose save to serve man's purposes. This is what White is saying scripture mandates. He goes on. Christianity not only established a dualism of man and nature but also insisted that it is God's will that man exploit nature for its proper ends. Now, I don't know how you hear that, but there's actually a whole lot of people who would read what we just read and say, that's kind of what it sounds like to me. That's sort of what it sounds like to me. And if I look around at the world today, that seems like it's how things have played out. That somehow exploitation, in White's words, coercion, domination, extraction, are inherent to God's mandate to human beings to rule and to subdue. So we should ask whether that's true or not. True from the scripture's perspective itself. And so we place Genesis 1 in the context of the entire creation narrative, which includes Genesis chapter 2. It's a retelling of God's creative acts. And in Genesis 2 and 15, we read this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till and to keep it. Another word for till would be to cultivate the garden. So what we need to be very clear about is that God's language of ruling and subduing is actually gardening language. It's cultivating language. It's, it's language that has life inherent to it, that has as its end flourishing and abundance and the bringing of all life to its God-given potential. This is what it means to garden. It's to bring creation to its 
potential. And this mandate was true before the fall, before sin. To be created as a human being is to be created as a gardener. To bring creation to its potential and to its flourishing. How we care, how we live out our vocation as caretakers is encapsulated in the garden. Of women and men bringing the land to its potential. So contradictory to white, it's, it's not that God's purposes lead to exploitation. It's sin that does that. It's sin which, which says that, that, that we can stand in God's place. That we can transcend the limits of our humanity and do what only God can do, which always leads to domination and exploitation. Which is to say that, that the... The, 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 the environmental degradation, that the splintering of, of society and community, this is not a reflection of God's mandate, but of our sin. Fulfilling your purpose as a human being looks a whole lot, a whole lot like gardening, like getting your hands dirty in the soil, bringing all of creation to flourishing. But sin makes it hard for us to even imagine this. To even imagine what it looks like to fulfill our purpose in this way. Thankfully, we have Jesus. If you, if you ever want to know what God's purpose is for humanity, look to Jesus. If you ever want to know what did God intend, look to Jesus. If you ever want to pull your imagination out of its sin-bound boundaries, look to Jesus. And when we look at the life of Jesus, what we find is that everybody around Jesus was cared for. That, that, that nobody who was around Jesus was ever exploited, was ever dominated, was ever excluded, was ever manipulated, was ever abused. Everybody who was around Jesus was cared for. The sick were healed. The dead were raised. The, the, the sinners were forgiven. Those who had been ostracized from their community were reconciled to their community. If you were around Jesus, you experienced the fruit of being cared for. Even his language in the parables demonstrates this. It's all biological language. It's, it's stories about sheep and trees and pearls and agriculture. And the, the creation itself is coming in to its full potential. To be in the presence of Jesus was to know God's complete, holistic, total, comprehensive, loving care. So, imagine yourself for, for a moment uh, in Jesus' day. You live in the region of Galilee. You've heard about Jesus, but frankly, you've just been too busy to ever go and listen to him. You've got your land to care for. The land has been shrunk down because you've had to sell pieces of it off because the, the, the occupying empire has overtaxed your family. And family members who used to live on the land have now had to go into exile to try to make a way for themselves. And, and, and you're just barely keeping your nose above water. You're tired. You're exhausted. You're kind of at the end of your rope. And then Jesus comes close enough that at the end of the day, you can walk out to the hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee at sunset. And you can, you can finally hear this man that people have been talking about. And, and, and picture yourself tired and worn down and sweaty and not entirely sure how you're going to provide for your family next week. And hear Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6, 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. To be in the presence of Jesus is to experience the expansiveness of God's care for us. The expansiveness of God's care in this world which reconciles people to God, people to others, people to ourselves, and yes, even to the creation itself, to the land itself. I have been tempted as a pastor more times than I can count over the years to treat people as a means to an end. To treat people as resources rather than as image bearers of the living God. There's so much to get done. There's so much to accomplish. And if, and if I can just say the right thing to this person, then maybe they'll do that. And, and, and if I can just you know, organize this team well enough, then maybe they'll accomplish this for us. And I'm sure I'm the only one in the room who's ever been tempted to use people as means to an end. Jesus never, ever, 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 ever uses anybody as a means to an end. Never treats anybody as a human resource. Always as image bearers of the living God. In Jesus, we see God's purposes for humanity fulfilled. Jesus is what it looks like to be fully human. And that caretaking call is available to us. Everybody's looking over here. Is there something interesting going on over here? Is the doors flapping around or something? What's happening, Kate? There's an Easter egg hunt going on outside. I see, man, we got desserts on one side and Easter egg hunts on the back. Lord Jesus, help me, help me. Angel, pray for me. This has got to be a powerful sermon today. This caretaking vocation that God gave us at the very beginning is actually still available to us today. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus that we celebrated this past weekend, sin has been defeated so that we can honor God's purposes for us. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, If anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. Everything old has passed away. Look, new things have come into being. Sin still pulls at us, absolutely. Sin still impacts our relationship with God, with others, with ourselves, and with the creation itself. But sin is not inevitable anymore in its power on our life. Paul says, new creation has come. And so in Jesus, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we can return to our purpose of caring for all of creation. You are capable, through the power of Christ in you, to cultivate growth in your relationship with God. To cultivate growth in your relationship with your neighbors. To cultivate growth in your relationship with yourself. And to cultivate growth in the place that God has called you to You are not a passive observer. You have the capacity to be a gardener in all of these places and in all of these relationships. Now, some of you are about to roll your eyes when I say this. 
But I actually think that's Sabbath keeping. Go ahead, Brittany. It's all right. That Sabbath keeping is one of the most practical ways that we can live into caring for God's creation. Uh, there's a few of you who, were, who spent a, a few hours at Jackie Robinson Community Garden yesterday. Uh, and you, you took off the burlap sacks that were ca- covering the gardens all winter long. And you mixed in uh, a compost and, and, and all the other good nutrients for the soil. And then you planted all of those boxes with, with seedlings that are going to grow and are going to feed a bunch of people in our church and our community this, this summer. But those beds had to lay dormant all winter long. Those beds needed a rest. Those beds needed our gardeners to cover them carefully with the burlap sacks so that the good topsoil wouldn't blow away in those strong winds that come off the lake all winter long. Can I say that the beds needed a Sabbath? They needed to be cared for in that way. Our Jackie Robinson gardeners cared for the literal dirt in our community by giving those beds a rest, a Sabbath rest. Sabbath, when we keep it, when we set aside a day to stop our work, Sabbath checks our sinful tendency to always take more, to always feel like we've got to squeeze a little bit more out of somebody, out of ourselves, out of the earth itself, out of God. Sabbath checks the exploiting tendency because we have to, on the Sabbath, receive all of God's creation as a gift. A gift to be cared for. Never, never a resource to exploit. Don't worry, that's all I'm going to say about Sabbath. We fulfill God's purpose for us by living as caretakers who care for creation. And secondly, by being cared for by creation. It would actually be pretty easy to stop just on the first one. Right? Like, it goes against the dominant paradigm of exploitation and domination. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you're still kind of in control, right? There's still stuff for you to do. Verse 29. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And then it's very similar language about how God is going to provide for the rest of of the non-human creation. And God says then that, that everything that has breath, the breath of life in it, will be cared for by, by the rest of creation, by the seed-bearing and leaf-bearing plants. It's, it's pretty easy for us to overlook this part of the creation story. Like we, we, we can spend a lot of time on being created in the image of God and what God calls us to, and we kind of pass right over this. Like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. God gave us food to eat. That's great. We need to eat food. But, but God is actually saying something very profound here about what it means to be human. That we are interdependent and interrelated with all of creation, which is incredibly important. So so why do we skip over this so quickly? I want to suggest that that we are prone to believing two uh, deceptive worldviews. Let me share these two with you briefly. 
The first is what I would call dualism. Dualism uh, elevates spirit over flesh, mind over body. And this, this, you, you can trace this thing way back into, into Western thought, Western civilization. We don't need to go there today. But, but the idea here is that what's most important about you is your spirit. Uh, or what's most important about you is your mind, the thoughts that you can think. Far more important than, say, the community you belong to. Or the land that sustains you. That can all kind of get left behind. What's most important about you are these disembodied things. I think we see this this, uh, uh, dualism worldview playing out in our debates about artificial intelligence uh, these days. I don't know if anybody's paying attention to this or if anybody's freaking out about it. I don't know. Uh, Like, am I going to have a job next year? So, um... AI to preach sermons is probably better than the sermons you, you, you hear from me on most Sundays. But the debates are mostly centered around productivity and efficiency. Like how efficient is this technology? Is it getting it right? How productive can it be? Which is interesting. But, but there's almost nothing about embodied relationships. Right? There, there, there's, there's almost no discussion or debate about the ways that these technologies further distance us from one another. Why? Because in a dualistic worldview, what's most important is, about, is, is what you think, right? What you can accomplish. Bodies don't matter all that much. Other people, not so important. Certainly places, land, earth, dirt, not important at all from a dualistic perspective. Dualism leads us to think that we are distinct from and independent of the rest of creation. We, we, don't, we don't need it. Okay, so that, that, I think that's one sort of tendency. The other is consumerism. Consumerism builds identity around what we consume and what we possess. Consumption is a good thing. You you, you need to eat food. You need to consume food, consume beverage. Consumerism is a way of, of understanding your place in the world based on what you consume, what you can afford to consume. I know some of you are like, ah, is that so... Think about how often our society has these, like, uh, uh, warring boycotts going on. Like, a few years ago, uh, liberal people, you couldn't eat at, at, at where? You remember? Chick-fil-A. I would see, like, some, like, really progressive people, like, apologizing on social media. But the chicken's just so good. I just, I know it's bad, but I just can't. This past week, you remember what, do you, anybody know what was boycotted this past week? It was conservative people this time. Boycotting. Anybody see this? Bud Light. There's literally videos of people renting steamrollers, crushing cases of Bud Light. So uh, whatever. If you're into that, good for you. Have fun with that. But there's never any conversation about like, these are massive corporations built on worldviews of extraction and exploitation. But we're still going to align ourselves with them based on our ideology. And I'm going to be offended if a brand or a corporation takes a stand that I don't agree with. I'm not going to question the underlying thing. I'm not going to question how much the CEO is getting paid, how much the workers are getting paid, where their resources are coming from. I'm not going to talk about that. Consumerism has us identifying by what we can consume and what we can possess. Like some of you in this room, if you saw somebody wearing Nike and Adidas at the same time, you would be shocked. How could you? Where's your loyalty? (laughs) Some of you think I'm joking, but some of you know I'm not. 
consumerism leads us to think that we do not need the physical creation to tell us who we are. We have other identity markers. I don't need anything about the dirt in this place to tell me about who I am. I don't need anything about the weather patterns of this place. I don't need anything about the people who have been in this place for generations to tell me anything about who I am. I get to choose that. I get to build that. I get to construct that. Consumerism. I think both of these worldviews are so prevalent. We just, we're just breathing that air all the time. And, and we then miss how they are pulling us away from our place as interdependent and interrelated creatures in God's creation. Because according to God in this passage, that's what we are. We are interdependent and interrelated with all of creation. Parenthetically, that's why I'm using the language of caretakers and not stewards. Oftentimes as Christians, we say we are stewards of creations. But stewards is still a managerial role, right? Still managing things, which is good and important. But a caretaker understands I'm a part of this. I don't stand at a remove from it. This is me too. I need to be cared for. So real quickly, let's talk about being interdependent and interrelated. The interdependent one probably feels a little bit more obvious because God says, I make you male and female. Interdependence is necessary for the propagation of the human species and and, and other creatures as well. So we kind of get that. But what we might miss here is that God also gives us plants for food. And I know it's easy to be like, well, yeah, of course. But it's a detail that was important enough that God includes it twice in this passage. I, I am not just creating you. I am creating you in a way that you are going to be dependent on my creation for your survival. Think about it this way. If every last human disappeared from the planet this afternoon, the planet would mostly be okay. Like maybe your dog would miss you for a couple days and then he'd find his pack and he'd be okay. If just like two or three species of pollinators disappeared from the earth, you and I have like a couple of months. Humanity as a whole is done. This is how dependent we are on God's creation. We literally cannot survive without God's creation. This is actually why I think the act of saying grace before a meal. Let me not be too exaggerative here, but I think it's so countercultural. It's such a radical thing to do in our society, which says you're fine on your own. You don't need anybody else. You got what's yours. When we pause before a meal and say grace, we are doing more than a cursory. God, thank you for this food. Bless the people who da 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 da. We're acknowledging humbly and prayerfully, I literally, God, would not survive without your creation. I literally make it day to day because of the gifts of your creation. So we are interdependent and we are interrelated. The same language that God uses for humans about giving the the plants as food, he uses for the rest of 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 the non-human creation as well. We're all dependent on the same creation to eat. And then God says, everything that has the breath of life in it will share in this gift of creation. Do you have the breath of life in you? You share that with every 
living creature in, in, in the cosmos. That it is animated by the presence and spirit of God. This is our non-human kin, to use uh, indigenous Christian language. The non-human kin that we are related to through our interrelatedness, sharing the breath of God. I don't know if anybody saw this. The Lincoln Park Zoo let out the three lion cubs earlier this week. Anybody see this? And um, I, I wrote their names down. Pesho, Sidai, and Lamalak. I don't know if I'm close with that. Uh, I tried to find why they're named that. I couldn't find it. But I'm sure there's interesting stories. But what was interesting to me is, is the massive crowd that gathered. Like the word had gotten out that the, the lion cubs were going to be let out. And it was just, I saw a picture, it was just packed around the lion display outside. Now part of that is, like to be fair, lion cubs, super cute, right? Like we, super cute. But I, I do actually think there's something in us that recognizes a kind of kinship. Right? The, the, the sort of beauty and the miracle and the amazement of, of non-human creaturely life that is sustained by the same God who formed us from the dust of the earth. So we are interdependent and we are interrelated with all of creation. And this allows us to be cared for by God's creation. So here's what I want to suggest for the rest of Easter. Easter is 50 days. We're like seven days into it. For the rest of Easter, uh, a practice of gratitude. So most of you probably say grace over your food at least once a day. I want you to identify a few other ways that you can say grace over Easter. So maybe those of you who have a car, when you're filling up your gas tank, where'd that gas come from? Right? Like you didn't make it. (laughs) You didn't create it. What would it look like to say grace as you're filling up your tank? And some of you commute on the train or, or, or on the bus as you're sitting down. What would it look like for you to say grace for the fact that this transportation, which is tied directly to God's creation, is available to you? When you plug something into the wall, when you pull a shirt over your head, what if you said grace for your human kin on the other side of the world, who labored intensely, potentially in an environment that was not particularly caring for them, so that you could be fully clothed in the morning. So, so, so a, a, a practice of, of saying grace throughout the rest of the Easter season. What else can you apply that to in a way that every time you do it, you are acknowledging, God, I am totally dependent on your good creation. I am, I am related with everything that shares the breath of life in this world. I will let myself be cared for. I will acknowledge the ways that you are caring for me through the gift of your creation. We fulfill God's purpose for us by living as caretakers who are also cared for by creation. Matt, you want to Come on up. Thanks. So uh, we're coming to the end here. Um, I I remind you that that the passage began with God deciding to make human beings in God's image and God's likeness. And the passage says, so that's what he did. God created us in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
In other words, living into our purpose as caretakers is intimately connected to being the only creatures who bear God's likeness, to honoring the image of God that is each one of you. The way we do that is giving and receiving the care in the community of God's creation. Remembering our purpose to live as creation's caretakers is essential for us, new community, in this season. Embracing God's call to care for and be cared for by creation is going to help us see and respond to how God is collectively leading us in this season. And again, like I said before, we're going to explore that in some practical ways in the coming weeks. But remembering our caretaking vocation, our purpose, is also essential for each of us way beyond any facility search. In our dualistic and consumeristic society, it is so easy to be removed from the goodness and the beauty of God's creation. But God created you to care for and to be cared for by his good and beautiful creation. Allow the the, the weekly gift of Sabbath worship and rest to be a compass orienting you to your caretaking purpose. Bow your head in prayerful grace, multiple and creative ways every day as you recognize the countless ways that God's creation is caring for you. And as you do, hear what God says about his image bearers. Hear what God says about the only creatures who are capable of cultivating his creation to its life-giving potential. About everything else in God's creation, God says, it's good. And then on the sixth day, having created woman and man in his image, God says, it is very good. About you, God says, you are very good. It was true about us at the beginning of all things. And friends, by the mercy of our Lord Jesus, it is true of us today too. Let us live out our God-given caretaking purpose from this loving affirmation of our creator. It is good. Let's pray, church. Creator God who made all things to reflect your goodness. Thank you for the call and the invitation to care for your creation. Thank you for how your creation cares for us. Free us from sinful systems of domination and exploitation. Free us from the disembodying worldviews of dualism and consumerism. By Christ's death and resurrection, who freed us from captivity to sin, restore to us our vocation to live as your caretakers, reflecting your very presence to the world. Through your gifts of keeping Sabbath and saying grace, ground our feet firmly among the community of your creation that we might give and receive your loving and sustaining care.